Well, as I mentioned earlier today, is epiphany this, that word you may um, recognize in English, we use that to talk about sort of a, a revealing or a, a big aha moment or something like that, a bright idea, I mean, it's used in a lot of different ways, but that, that really has to do in the Christian calendar with Jesus being revealed to the rest of the world, the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world, and the coming of the Magi wise men, the kings, the wise guys, whatever you want to call them. We have already talked about them and so for the, in this series, but we are going to be wrapping up our series today looking at another little piece of the Christmas story. Just a quick note, if you are following along in the book by Tim Keller, there is an additional chapter that we're not looking at and so I just want to let you know that that is something that is there, but um, I'm not going to be preaching on that particular text that's in there this time around. So today we're going to be looking at Luke 2, and it is a text that happens after the birth, shortly after the birth. It's part of Luke's birth narrative. Luke 2, beginning in verse 21. When eight days had passed, Jesus' parents circumcised him and gave him the name Jesus. This was the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived. When the time came for their ritual cleansing in accordance with the law from Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. They offered a sacrifice in keeping with what's stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. A man named Simeon was in Jerusalem. He was righteous and devout. He eagerly anticipated the restoration of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Led by the Spirit, <clears throat> he went into the temple area. Meanwhile, Jesus' parents brought the child to the temple so that they could do what was customary under the law. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God. He said, Now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared the salvation in the presence of all peoples. It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed by what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This boy is assigned to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that generates opposition, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your innermost being, too. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> God, we are all here today because of your work, because of your Son, Jesus. And we know that Mary and Joseph and maybe anyone else who heard these words, heard them and recognized them as being from your Holy Spirit and wanted us to have them today preserved and written down through your Spirit 
so that that same Spirit may speak to our hearts and we ask that this is what would happen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so Simeon, not someone we often see in our Christmas uh, decorations. He's not obviously at the, at the uh, manger there by the feeding trough, so we don't get him in those, although the Magi weren't either. But that's a side note. Um, I've never seen many depictions of him. He's not a, a real prominent figure, I don't think, in many of our traditions, if any. But he is part of Luke's story, the birth narrative. And when we hear the story, you hear that he had sort of a, a general, like, song, probably a prayer, a thanksgiving to God, because God had promised to him that he would see the Christ, this promised Messiah, before he dies. And so he's waiting, and I'm sure he's at a point, it sounds like, just from what we get in the text, is the point where he's thinking, God, you got to do this soon. <laughs> you know, because at the end of it, he's like, okay, I can go in peace now, right? And he is, he gives this sort of general praise, this message, but he also has some very specific words that he shares with Mary to get preserved and that we have in our text. Because the Holy Spirit, through Simeon, reveals to Mary both that Jesus will be salvation for not just Israel, but for the Gentiles as well. He's going to be salvation. He's going to save them. He, she's heard this before. But he also says he is going to be a source of division. He's going to be the, the cause of the rising some in Israel and the falling of some in Israel. And a sword will pierce, I like the soul translation, the sword will pierce your soul to your innermost being, Mary. As I was preparing for the sermon this week, I happened to listen to a sermon um, on the rich young ruler passage. You know, this young man who comes with a lot of wealth, and he's, he's telling Jesus, I've obeyed all these commandments from my youth what do I need to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, One thing you lack, go and sell everything you have, give to the poor, follow me. And the man goes away sad. And in this sermon, uh, I was really impacted by the take this pastor had on it, where he said that whenever we meet the real Jesus, not the Jesus of our making or the Jesus of our manipulation, that we find two things. Jesus demands a lot more than we thought. And Jesus offers us much more than we ever thought. And this pastor was arguing, and, and I agree, that when you meet the real Jesus, you cannot remain indifferent. You can't run into the real Jesus and come away going, ah, he's a nice guy, he's a good teacher, I kind of like some of his stuff, kind of not some of the rest. When we meet the real Jesus, we find that he is more demanding than we ever imagined. And he offers us more than we could possibly imagine. And one of the things that I liked about the way this pastor was working this in, and it, it really hit me, was he said, if you look back on your life, even in the last year, we're at that turning point where we do some reflection, right? We're entering the new year, 2019. If you look back in the last year, if you can say... Where I'm at today versus where I was at a year ago, I now under, I'm now thinking Jesus is demanding more of me than I ever thought. 
but he's also offering more to you than I ever thought. Then it's a good mark that you're growing in your faith and that you're drawing closer to the true Jesus. And I like that as one way of looking back and examining our spiritual life. I know that for me, when I received my call to ministry as a young man, I, I, it was different than I thought it would be. I obviously, growing up in the church, I thought being a pastor would be kind of a, a glamorous, glorious thing. And yet, I had other plans. I wasn't planning to be a pastor. And so I had been making these plans, and when I received from, and this is another story of how that happened, but when I received this confirmation that God was calling me into ministry, I realized right away that it meant giving up a lot of what I had planned to do. For me as a young man, that meant giving up my plans to go to the Air Force Academy, to be a pilot, to be in the military, and I thought to live a life of wealth. Afterwards, retiring, I was going to go you know, be an airline pilot and live this good life of traveling around the world and making lots of money, having my own private plane. I mean, these are all sort of the dreams that were coming into my head as a young man. And I realized that if I was going to follow Jesus, I was going to have to get rid of all of that. And it took me a long time of wrestling with God over this issue. And when I finally surrendered and said, God, I want what you want for my life. It was right after that point when I was traveling on my first mission trip to Ensenada, Mexico with my uh, youth pastor and a team from our church. And he said, you all have to read this book called Through Gates of Splendor, written by the wife of a missionary aviation pilot who him and his colleagues were um, killed meeting a new tribe that had never heard the gospel before. And they worked and worked and worked to, to you know, introduce themselves, introduce the gospel to this tribe. And they thought they had built some good relationships and then um, one day they were all killed. And, you know, the story goes on, and many of those tribes did end up becoming Christian. But when I read that, the combination of thinking, wait, you can do the things that I was beginning to be passionate about. Go into places of the world where people are hurting, and people are in need. I'd never experienced that before. And I could be a pilot and do the things I wanted to do. I mean, just the idea that those things could come together, I realized God was offering me way more than I had dreamed. One dream was very selfish and self-oriented. The other one still had the adventure and the excitement and all the cool things I wanted to do as a young man, but it also offered a way to connect with God's heart for the world. So God was offering me so much more than I thought. So it's a both and. Yes, when we meet the real Jesus, he asks us to give up more than we can imagine, but also offers back more than we can imagine. So when we think about what we've been talking about at Christmas, the gifts that come to us in Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus incarnate, who is now with us as we receive the Holy Spirit. There are four truths, I think, that we can see in Simon's message, Simeon's message to uh, Mary and Joseph that we can take for ourselves too. Because he tells Mary um, at least four different things here. The first one is that Jesus is going to be the cause of the falling and the rising of many. The falling and the rising of many. And we see this pretty quickly as he begins his teaching and his preaching. Because again and again he says, the first are going to be last, and the last are going to be first. When I was growing up, for some reason, in my mind, I always had the school line in mind. <laughs> we'd line up for lunch, or we'd line up for PE or something. and We always had to go in a, in a certain order. And I was always either at the beginning or the end, because my last name started with a B. You know, and they always seem to do it alphabetically. And I always kind of envied the people in the middle. Because they always got the same spot. But I was either first or I was last. And so I always thought, 
yeah, that's great. The first get to be last, and the last get to be first. And I thought, well, that's good, as long as you're not first. You know, and I it just kind of pulled through that around and turned it around in my mind. But Jesus talks about this in so many different ways in his preaching. This kind of great reversal. The falling and the rising of many is how Simeon puts it. As soon as Jesus begins his ministry and his teaching, something starts to happen. The really religious, the super religious, and the wealthy, they discover that they weren't nearly as close to God's kingdom as they thought they were. And at the same time, these very poor people, these marginalized people, these outside people, the children, they begin to find out that they were a lot closer to God's kingdom than they ever imagined. The rising and the falling of many. And today, I would say that this continues in this way. There's probably other ways too, but at least in this way. And that is that all of our moral striving, all of our trying to be a good person, to be the right person, to obey all of God's law, all of our wealth, all of those things that we put our status in, our education, our success, our families, nothing of those things draws us any closer to God. The falling of those of us who are trying to earn or deserve God's love. And yet, the rising, it's still good news, the message of Jesus that comes to all of us, to all of those who are willing to repent and turn away and say, you know what? I can't do enough to get there. I cannot do enough to deserve God's love. Then regardless of a person's moral standing, regardless of how wealthy they are, regardless of how successful they are in the world's eyes, regardless of what kind of education they have, or the things that they have done, regardless of those things, you can immediately find yourself part of God's kingdom through repentance, saying, I'm turning away from those and I'm going to follow Jesus. The rising and the falling of many, that's still the way it works. I loved in this sermon about this rich young ruler, one of the things the pastor pointed out is he said, you know, the, the rich young man, he comes to Jesus and he says, um, Jesus said, he says, how can I get to be part of God's kingdom? And Jesus says, or eternal life, I think is how he phrased it. How do I get eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Obey your mother and father. You know, and he lists off a bunch of them. And the man says, I've kept all these from my youth. And Mark's gospel, there's two verses of this. Mark's gospel says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he said, there's still one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have. <clears throat> give it to the poor and follow me. It's not about money, actually. I lo- and I love how this uh, pastor got me thinking about it. He said, it's almost as if Jesus said, okay, you've obeyed all the commandments. Great. So let's just go and start with the first one. Right? Love the Lord your God. Honor God. Put Him before everything else. Let's just start there. So go and sell everything you have and follow me. Give it to the poor and follow me. And He can't even do that. So it's almost as if Jesus is revealing that despite all of His trying to be so good, He failed even on the very first point. He's unable to even move there. And we don't know the rest of the story. We know He goes away. He's sad. We don't know if He comes back. 
rising and the falling of many. Simeon says that Jesus will be a sign that generates opposition. As I mentioned earlier, the real Jesus does not allow people to remain indifferent. Kind of say, oh, he's, he's okay. Not, not the real one. Once we make up, good. There's actually been, it was an effort for a while of people who tried to go into the Gospels and they tried to take out everything that they believed was um, added in. And so they put in that class everything that was a miracle. You know, that had to be made up. So they took all that out. And they tried to edit all the other stuff out that they thought wouldn't really be in there and sort of create a new, what they felt was a true uh, record of Jesus. And it created a Jesus that wasn't anything like the real Jesus. When we meet the real Jesus, he... Um, is a sign that causes opposition. His claims to being Lord, to being Master, his claims to being God's Son, just don't leave room for that. And we see that in the Gospels. The religious leaders, when they hear Jesus' teaching, they often want to kill him for blasphemy. Because they understand what he's claiming. He's claiming equality with God. And if you're not God, you can't do that. So they want to kill him. He, he generates opposition. The political rulers, we talked about Herod in this series, they understood that claim to be a threat to their authority and their rule. Even if he wasn't really a king in the line of David, it didn't matter if people believed it. It could cause rebellion. It was a threat to them. A sign that generates opposition. I believe that today, you know, many who don't know Jesus they want to approach Christianity on, a, on an academic and sort of heady level. Let's argue about this. Let's, let's discuss this. And I'm going to try to figure it out in my head. And I, and I actually love engaging people at that level. I think that's fine. But I also know that there's a truth inside all of us, Christians included, that we're, we're offended by Jesus' claims of lordship on our life. We talked about this in this series before, too. We want to be in control. We want to be in charge. So it's one thing to say Jesus is Lord. It's a very different thing to live Jesus is Lord. And so I think for many, they want to approach it on an academic level. But what they're really wrestling with at the heart is that if they believe that Jesus is who he says he is, they cannot be in charge. And none of us really want that. That's hard. A sign that generates opposition. And Simeon says that he will cause the inner thoughts to be revealed. The inner thoughts to be revealed. Again, I mentioned that rich young ruler. I mean, we see that there. He comes to Jesus on a very theological, academic level. Let's talk about this. What do I need, teacher, to have eternal life? And Jesus sort of, you know, starts to go down that road. But then... He won't leave him there. He makes it very, very personal. Let's talk about your money. Yikes. Let's not. That's what we want to say, right? Anything else? No, let's go back and talk about the law. That's more interesting. <clears throat> Jesus makes it very personal. And he, in doing so, we see the, the inner thoughts of this young man revealed. This money has a hold on him. Unlike anything else. Go and give everything to the poor, he says. Go sell it all, give it to the poor. It's not really about the money, as I mentioned. It's not really just about him keeping the commandments, but it's about his unwillingness to let it go, and to follow God. When we seek Jesus, 
And we seek Him in a lot of different ways. Through prayer, through scripture reading, through listening to preaching. We do it through service and the way we love others. There's a lot of different ways we seek Jesus. We often discover that our inner thoughts are in opposition to God. And when we do, we have a choice we have to make. And, and I say this because, and, I, and I, I mentioned this last week too, we can be doing the right things that we think are things we're supposed to do, and inside of us, we can be doing them for very wrong reasons. In other words, I'm going to serve, but it's not because I really love anybody, but it's because I know I'm supposed to do it, and I want to stay on God's good side. I mean, we may not think about it exactly that way. And, and uh, just hear me here. I don't think that's a bad thing. In fact, I think maybe sometimes it's good for us to just say, I'm just going to start pretending to love these people. <laughs> you know, you just go out and you, you force yourself to begin to do it. And you pray for God's heart on that and you ask him to help you. I was reading um, an interview that hadn't been published until this week from Eugene Peterson, who passed away recently. I put this on my blog. Maybe some of you may have seen it, but... This um, editor from Christianity Today magazine, he asked him, he said in this interview, he goes, as you know, community has become something of a buzzword in the church today, yet in some ways we have less of it, even though we talk about it more. Why is that? Yeah, that's a great question. And Eugene Peterson, who um, I believe you know, has a lot of experience, obviously, in this, but also is often very prophetic in the way he speaks to the church. He said... Probably because many people in churches today don't have a sense of community. And in order to get a sense of community, church leaders start gathering people and giving them jobs. We've lost a talent for relationship and showing interest in the other person. We don't have community because we skip over the critical part, being in relationship with people, knowing their kids, knowing their jobs, knowing the neighborhood. And when I was reflecting on that, I shared in my blog that I recognized that there have been many points in my life, especially when I was younger, when I treated people like commodities. In other words, I'll be in a relationship with you because I am hoping to get something out of it. You know, I want something out of this relationship. I want something back. And you, can, you recognize that you might be doing this. Here's how you can recognize this. If relationships get difficult and you simply want to abandon them because they're difficult, that might be an indication that you're viewing people as what you can get from them rather than a relationship. I'm going to give you something that is just a, a, an epiphany for you today. I'm sure none of you have really thought about this before, so I'm going to share it with you. If you're in a relationship with someone, at some point, it's going to be difficult. There you go. That's the fifth hand you never realized that before. So I just want to throw that out there, okay? It's going to be difficult. So the question is, are we willing to be in community? Because that means working through those difficult, hard relationships. There's no shortcuts for this. This is long time, slow work. Building community and building relationships. Okay, lastly, Simeon says that Jesus will be a sword that pierces your soul. Most of us think he's talking to Mary here. And most of us think the pretty obvious piercing of her soul is going to happen as she watches her son being put to death. That would pierce any 
parent's soul. So of course she experiences it in that way. But if we want to move a little bit deeper, we can also say that we also recognize that even Mary is among those who are being saved by what Jesus does. And even Mary has to decide whether to reject or accept him. And I will use as my evidence of this Matthew 12. If you go and you look at Matthew 12, Mary and Jesus' brothers and sisters come to get Jesus out of a house where he's teaching because they think he's crazy. They think he's lost it. And so the word comes to Jesus. They say, hey, your, your, brothers and, your mother and your brothers and sisters are here. And then he responds by saying, who are my mother and who are my brothers and sisters? They are those who obey the will of God. And so I would argue that even Mary... She has to decide whether to accept what Jesus is going to offer. If you have the presence of Jesus with you, you're not going to have the luxury of ignoring the pain and suffering in the world. It's not exactly a great pitch and selling point for following Jesus and becoming a Christian. Hey, believe in Jesus, follow Jesus, and you will feel the pain of suffering in the world. All right, sign me up, right? Sounds wonderful. It's just true. God's heart is for this world, for the broken, for the hurting, for the sick, for the poor, and especially for those of us who live in relative comfort and ease. If you decide to follow Jesus, that sword will pierce your soul. You will not be able to ignore what's happening. You're going to be pierced by those who are living in poverty, by those who are in prison, by those who are seeking refuge from war and refuge from oppression, by those who are trapped in addiction and are lashing out and hurting others, by those who are abused and mistreated and by injustice in all of its forms. And people use their power over others for their own purposes by loneliness, by meaninglessness of all those who live lives apart from God, your soul will be pierced for them too. You're not going to be able to go through life thinking only of yourself and your family if you follow Jesus. I believe that Simeon's message is a good one for us as we come out of this time of Christmas. For many of us, you know, it's, it's great to be able to reflect on the beauty and the light, and all the gifts that we have talked about as we've gone through this series, gifts of peace. I mean, there's much to celebrate. There's much to wonder at. And there's much comfort in Christmas. And I know that for a lot of us, we get kind of past that Christmas, New Year's, and there's sort of this feeling of a little bit of exhaustion, and we're thinking about the year ahead, and and all that, that has to happen. And so I just want to say, you know, I think this is, a, this is a good message for us to remember that the coming of Jesus is a calling to something that is much harder than we might think, but it also offers so much more than we could possibly imagine. On one hand, it forces us into places that are uncomfortable and into relationships that aren't easy. But on the other hand, it fills our life with meaning, with purpose, with relationships, and the kind of joy that we can only have by seeing God transform people's lives. It's so worth it. You experience that even one time. You said this is more 
than I could ever imagine, that I could see this happening in someone else's life. And of course, we have the gift of God's presence, and that's with us. The gift of God's presence with us. Let's pray. God, I can't help but think that for many of us, if we had heard something like what Simeon was saying, we probably would have run the other way. Because it doesn't sound at first like good news. It sounds really hard. And yet, Lord, we know, we know so well that the other side of that is that we get to know you We get to have these relationships that are well beyond the surface with others. We get to be a part of this miraculous work of your kingdom in this world. We get to receive your joy and peace that is something that is unlike anything else and no one can take it away from us. So we thank you, God, for all of this and we ask you to be with us as we move forward into this year, into 2019. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.